Hello, everyone. Welcome out to another episode of the PNP Industry Insider Podcast, where we look at what is changing changing in the industry. We take you to the front lines to those that are making those changes in the industry. My name is Donnie Shelton, owner of Triangle Home Services, which has Triangle Pest Control and Triangle Lawn Care, as well as the CEO of Comarch, a company that offers digital marketing and sales services for the home services industry, specifically in pest and lawn. And with me, as always, is my partner, Dan Gordon. Dan, would you like to say hello? Sure. Hi, Donnie. <laughs> so, uh, um, Dan Gordon, uh, PCO Bookkeepers. We do fractionalized CFO work, uh, tax planning preparation, audit representation, exit planning, a uh, whole bunch of things. And uh, we uh, have been in the industry for a long time, love the industry. And what we are really excited about today is, well, uh, something that everybody, this is a very serious subject. It's uh, uh, We're talking about uh, COVID 2.0 and the Delta variant and what employers should know. Um, so I see that there's an insert here that I missed on the, the, uh, on, on, the, the, um, on the script that says, uh, Donnie's gonna, about to say, as always, if you like what you hear, rate us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you hear podcasts, and I'll just go into the intro. Today, we are welcoming back Gene Seawright. <laughs> before C you go there, before you go yeah. there, if you're riding in your car right now, or if you are just listening to this podcast, I want you to imagine Dan just getting super red. When I made the partner comment, it was just me just having fun with him. And so he's, I think he's turned back to his normal color, but just, I just wanted to give you that visual. So Dan, continue on. I'm sorry. Go ahead. muted and now dan is muted so i'm not for sure what happened there um but here we go we're going to bring him back so i, I think i embarrassed him so much now that he, he he can't even talk so there we go so um what i'll do is i'll continue on and while he figures out his technology we will uh we'll we'll continue on so i will introduce our guest we are definitely welcoming back gene c wright president of c wright and associates Gene, it is so great to have you. I'm going to go through all of this, but I never thought in a million years when we started this podcast and we, you know, the podcast came from these COVID seminars that we did and we had you on. And I thought for sure this was going to be done in, in six months at the latest. Um, and, and that's actually not the case. And so for those of you that may not be aware of Gene, she is super at what she does. She's a great resource, I believe, for the industry. She owns a human resource consulting firm that specializes in providing advice and solutions to clients nationwide to reduce legal liabilities, enhance profits and productivity, improve morale and ensure compliance with state and federal employment regulations. All fun stuff that I love looking through. Jean is a frequent speaker at state and national trade associations, a columnist and the author of numerous articles and publications in the field of human resources. She also serves as an expert witness in lawsuits involving HR matters. Um, we spoke to Gene in, on episode 28. If you've not had a chance to listen to that episode, I would very much uh, encourage you to do that. And, and that episode was on how to recruit and retain A players. Also, she was on one of our last, on one our, I talked about this at the beginning, but she was on one of our first COVID-19 webinars. And she always provides excellent and actionable information. So we're really looking, look, looking forward to today's discussion with Gene. And just as a quick plug here, Jean also works with uh, my company, and we just absolutely love her service and what she does for us. So, Jean, welcome back to the podcast. It's great to have you. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm happy to be here. Jean, can you hear me? I can. 
Excellent. So we're back. Donnie, that, that was a, a good audible. I, I, I like that. <laughs> Live TV is beautiful, right? So uh, anyway, so I guess I'll take the first one. <laughs> so uh, anyway, yep. uh, so so everybody knows that, uh, you know, we were all done with COVID and we're going back to normal and this, uh, this Delta variant came in and, uh, um, you know, uh, we're starting to look like uh, maybe it's uh, not that smooth sailing. So set the stage for us. Uh, you know, uh, our listeners have heard of the Delta variant, but for anyone living under a rock or choosing not to pay attention to the news, explain to us what's going on, why now is the time for employers to reevaluate their policies. Sure. So the Delta variant now accounts for at least 80% of all the COVID-19 cases in the United States. And the reason that it's sort of a new day, if you will, with COVID is because it is more contagious. This variant um, is highly contagious. It's nearly twice as contagious as previous variants. Um, in addition to that, we now know that Delta uh, is producing some breakthrough infections for vaccinated, fully vaccinated people. Um, and so because of that, we know that it, they can spread it, they can get it uh, and spread it. And so it, uh, it's changed things. Um, we know that vaccinated people appear to be infectious, infectious for a shorter period of time with Delta, uh, but there is some new information that suggests that um, unvaccinated people are certainly have a greater concern, but that it may actually cause more severe illness um, in some unvaccinated people. So employers are concerned. And as a result of the contagiousness of it, employers are back in the midst of dealing with people out sick, close contact, um, and leaves, um, quarantines, all of that. So I think what I heard you say there is that whether you're vaccinated or not, now that COVID-D or the, the variant is here, both can transmit it, and now it's kind of almost like a new day with COVID. Is that, is that correct? Good summary? Yes, it is. So I just just real quick, I have a friend of mine whose daughter got married and this weekend we were supposed to have a big um, we were supposed to have like this big wedding reception and I was going to was actually going to smoke the brisket for that. And I get a text from him Friday night and his mother, who has been vaccinated, has COVID. And so the whole thing got scrapped over that. So um, it's crazy. So, you know, a few weeks ago. In an effort to reduce the spread of the Delta variant, the, the CDC announced three changes for fully vaccinated individuals, all of which impact the workplace. So can you just kind of walk us through what they mean for PMPs? Sure, yes. Um, first of all, um, the CDC announced that um, on July 27th that fully vaccinated individuals in locations with substantial or high community spread should wear masks in public indoor settings. So that, again, it's an advisory, it's a guidance, it's not a law or mandate or a requirement. But what that did is change thing for, changed things for employers because um, they had, had, had dropped the mask mandate uh, or requirement in their business for fully vaccinated people back in May when the CDC made that announcement. So here they are now, again, looking at requiring all employees to wear masks if they're going to follow the CDC guidance. 
And of course, for some, that may also mean implications or issues with customers, not so much in the PMP industry because we're going into people's homes and, on, and their businesses. Um, but all those issues arose again. Um, so that's the first thing the CDC did. The second thing is that they announced uh, that fully vaccinated individuals who have had close contact with someone who had COVID, uh, they don't have to quarantine. They had made that announcement back in March. Um, and they're saying they still don't have to quarantine, but what we recommend is that they get tested three to five days after exposure and that they wear a mask um, if they for 14 days. Okay, so wear a mask for 14 days um, and get tested three to five days after exposure. If you get a negative test, then according to the CDC, you don't have to wear the mask for the remainder of the 14 days, unless your employer requires it or you're in an area of high community spread. So that was the second change that affected fully vaccinated people. Some additional conditions um, if they are exposed to someone with COVID. And the third thing is uh, that, that they acknowledge, CDC acknowledged that fully vaccinated individuals with weakened immune systems or underlying medical conditions may not be protected even though they're fully vaccinated. Um, I was surprised to read that may not be protected like at all. It was kind of a vague statement, uh, but apparently uh, there are some people with compromised immune systems or medical conditions where the, uh, the vaccine is not having the full effect or taking full effect. So what does that mean for employers? You might say, well, isn't that about just people in general? It is, but what that means for employers is that if they are in an area with high or substantially high community spread, which now is, oh gosh, the vast majority of the country, I want to say 89.75% uh, of counties in the United States are now falling into that category of having high or substantially high community spread. So for those employers in those areas, if you have an employee who is immunocompromised, then that individual may be requesting some accommodations right now because the risks are so high to them they may be requesting to work remotely or to have some additional protections in the workplace so that's how that affects employers so i just got a thing i was gonna say i just think as as a pmp though i mean like and i know we're going to get into this a little bit later but it, it absolutely is confusing right because you have the cdc recommendations you have what your state is saying, then you also have your county. I'm here in, in Raleigh, you know, Wake County. We don't, there's not a mask mandate in North Carolina. There's not a mask mandate in Wake County. There is a mask mandate in Durham County, which is right beside of us. And so I can only imagine that most, you know, business owners, you know, whether it be personal, probably just as confused as I am about, well, what do we do here and which one do we follow? So, I mean, obviously, you said this before we started the podcast, and I think it's a great point. And you said it's all about risk, but but we'll get into that later. I just I just think it's it's a point to be made, right? Is that there's several different things happening here, and you got to figure out, okay, which one am I going to follow, and what makes the most sense for us? So, Dan, I didn't mean to jump in there. What were you going to ask? So, so one of the interesting things is, you know, in coming to my office, I I know what a lot of people are doing, but but I still feel funny about, you know, asking people their, their vaccine status, right? So it can be tricky. 
Um, it's become so political, and I don't really want to go there. Although I know Donnie likes to get political, but uh, but I don't. We just make everyone wear a special sign on their on their shirt. That's what we do. Exactly. Yeah, so. so so it also seems like uh, <laughs> it would be important to know. But should you ask? Is it legal to ask? What are some of the do's and don'ts when it comes to this issue? Is there is this part of HIPAA? What what, what how does it all work? Yeah, that's like the number one question that we're getting today because HR professionals and business owners have been trained for many years not to ask confidential medical questions. They know that that's off limits. You can't ask people about their medical histories. And so their natural inclination is to think the same thing about vaccination status. Uh, but we learned several months ago, many months ago, that the rules are different when there's a pandemic. Um, and the traditional rules of asking about healthcare, especially as it relates to you know vaccines, of course, um, it, it's different. You can ask. You can ask about a person's vaccination status. Currently, there is no state that I'm aware of, um, and no county regulation pertaining to employers that would prohibit an employer from asking about the vaccination status of their workers. There's one state that has a law, Montana, that prohibits employers from discriminating against employees based on their vaccination status. So while the law does not prevent an employer from asking the vaccination status, the employer could not use that information to discriminate. In other words, to say, well, you're unvaccinated, therefore you need to wear a mask. So is this a... Is this, is this a law that came on the books because of COVID or was it there before? It was there before. It's an interpretation uh, by the EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, under the Americans with Disabilities Act. People tend to think of HIPAA, but HIPAA really only pertains to healthcare and, uh, uh, entities and insurers. It doesn't pertain to the private employers for the most part, but what we are subject to uh, is the EEOC uh, uh, enforcement guidance and the regulations under the Americans with Disabilities Act, they do have confidentiality provisions. So while you can ask the vaccination status uh, of a worker, you would not ask them why they are unvaccinated if they report that they're unvaccinated. Why is that? Because that question has potential to divulge a disability. So if someone's not getting vaccinated because they have a medical condition, your question of asking, well, why aren't you vaccinated? could divulge a disability. So there you've crossed the line now, uh, but you can ask them if they're, if they're vaccinated. And frankly, um, you know, I wasn't always a big fan of that in the beginning of the pandemic, even though we could have done that. I wasn't a big fan of it. Um, but I now uh, have to tell you that I'm, I'm recommending that to our clients because of the CDC guidance that was issued that has a difference in quarantine rules for vaccinated versus unvaccinated. If you don't know the vaccination status of your workers, you're not going to be able to apply that quarantine uh, rule, right? Yeah. Uh, and also, we're starting to see so many customers in your industry and in, in the pest industry. Uh, if you if you service a hospital um, or a health center, um, you know you may be required to only you, you, they may only allow vaccinated vendors, and so you need to know it now. Um, it's almost hard not to know. And, and also, if you're looking at, you know, do I want to have an incentive for people who are unvaccinated? Do I want to offer paid sick leave, which I know we'll talk about a little bit later? 
you you can't make wise decisions and prudent decisions without understanding what percentage of your workforce is vaccinated versus unvaccinated. So, so the benefit ask. here for an, a, an owner is, hey, if I'm able to get my folks vaccinated, technically there's a high potential I can get them back to work sooner, right? Because I don't have to quarantine them for two weeks, assuming that they go through the guidelines. And I mean, I, ideally, right, I would be able to like, okay, if I know who's vaccinated, they get exposed. I've got to go through the protocol. Theoretically, if they've been vaccinated and they test negative, you should be able to get them back out quicker, correct? You don't even have to take them out. It's not a matter of getting them back. If they're fully vaccinated and they're asymptomatic, they have no symptoms, they show no signs of COVID, they continue to work. There is no quarantine for people who are I heard something that I thought was going to come out, but it didn't. Can you offer people a uh, incentive, money, or whatever to get vaccinated? You can. We have some new guidance on that. Uh, that was uh, within the past couple months. Uh, there is a distinction, however, uh, for employers that uh, offer an incentive for someone to go get vaccinated off-site at a place of their choosing, for example, a pharmacy or a doctor's office or wherever they want, uh, versus an employer who brings the vaccination uh, group in-house and, uh, and, and, and offers people the opportunity to get vaccinated right at work. The, the distinction is that if you uh, allow people to go get vaccinated off-site and you're not managing that, you or your agent are not managing that on-site, then you're not collecting the pre-vaccination medical information. Um, and so once you do that, now you're limited in the type of incentive you can offer. But if you let people go get it wherever they want to and you offer an incentive, a few hundred bucks or more or less or whatever you want, there's no limit. There's no limit on that. You can do it, any incentive you want, um, because you're not managing medical information, you're not gonna fall under the ADA wellness provisions that limit incentives when you are the one with that wellness program. Are there any, like, let's just say you decide, okay, I'm gonna collect this information. Are there any regulations or things? I mean, cause obviously it's still health data. And I know you said HIPAA doesn't really apply to private sector per se, but what do I do with this information? Like, how do I store it? Is it, is there, I mean, obviously you're not gonna put it down on a piece of notebook paper and leave it on top of your desk, but what, I mean, I guess, is there anything that people need to be concerned about if they do collect this information? Yeah, I'm glad you're asking that, Donnie, because while the act of administering a vaccination is not a medical examination, according to the EEOC, they've said, you know, going to get the vaccination is not like a medical exam and asking employees about their vaccination status is not a disability related inquiry. Even though those two things are true, the fact is you're collecting medical information about the employees Therefore, it is subject to ADA's confidentiality provisions. And so you must maintain the confidentiality of the information. That's the reason why we don't recommend that you as an employer uh, will take that information and require people who are vaccinated to advertise that they're vaccinated by saying, wear this special lanyard or here's a button or pin that says I'm vaccinated or whatever, you know, a t-shirt, whatever it is that you have. If you require that, then you are requiring them to divulge their, you know, medical status and you're divulging it, um, that medical information. 
So we don't recommend that, but it's okay to allow people to do that if they want to. So you could have buttons made up or pins made up and you could offer that to people who are vaccinated and make it voluntary, uh, but uh, you should not um, force them to do that. And, the, and then and information that you have on their vaccination status, whether it's something that they complete on a form, a questionnaire, or a copy of their card, must be maintained in a confidential file. So, so you, you, can, you can compel people to be vaccinated or not uh, be allowed on, on location, is that right? Uh, you can do that as the employer. Your contractor or your customer could also say, listen, uh, we're only letting vendors on site who are vaccinated. They could impose that requirement on you, the employer. So yes, you can mandate vaccinations uh, now. And there's, there's two different types of mandates. Um, and I'm happy to explain those if you'd like me to. Sure. So, and, and the word mandate is being a little bit overused today. Uh, people are calling uh, requirements for vaccinations mandates when they're not really mandates. Um, the true form of a mandate, uh, as we think of it in the world of employment and HR, would be the version where you say to the employee, uh, you're either getting vaccinated or you're fired. You don't have a job here. We call that job or jab. That's your choice. Okay. Now, if an employer wants to adopt that version of the mandate, they have to make exceptions for people who have medical conditions and can't get vaccinated for that reason, or who have uh, strongly held religious beliefs that um, prevent them from getting vaccinated. So those are the two groups that have protections under Title VII and under the ADA. That would apply to businesses with 15 or more employees. But even if you don't have 15 or more employees, you're likely covered by a state anti-discrimination regulation that protects people on the same basis. So we always say, generally speaking, most employers are covered by that. So if you have the job or jab option, you know, get, get a vaccine or get fired, you still have to make exceptions for those two groups. The and other- And just to be clear, if you go this route, job or jab, it's, it cannot be considered as discrimination or kind of an EEOC thing. Is that correct? I just want to be clear because I want to make sure I'm clear on it, actually. As long as you're making an exception for those two groups. Gotcha. What, what, one more thing before we move on to this. As far as a religious exception, how do you define that? Could I find religion today or do I mean, you know, what? what yeah, uh, there are lot of things that uh, constitute religions under the EEOC regulations that you and I might not think of as religions. Um, mm -hmm. That we're seeing in primarily two forms. There are some religions that are very vocal about the fact that they don't allow vaccinations um, and that's public knowledge so that wouldn't be um, anything that would be hard to find. Now you may question whether or not the employee is actually a member of that church and EEOC does um, allow uh, some limited inquiries um, about that if you question that or have reason, a reasonable belief to question that. But there's some limitations um, on that. Uh, so we would have to look at a case-by-case -case basis. But the other pushback that we're hearing about are not necessarily religions that, that don't allow or believe in vaccinations. It's that the vaccines uh, were developed using um, fetal tissue from aborted babies. 
And so there are some people who feel that uh, they don't want to get the vaccination for that reason. And so that's the nature of their religious belief. Um, so again, employers have a little bit of latitude to question some of that if it's, um, you know, if there's a reasonable belief uh, that may not be true. Um, you know, like somebody who never went to church and you knew that and all of a sudden they tell you they're a member of the Church of Scientology and they don't believe in vaccinations. You know, you might want to, you might ask some questions about that, but again, within, you know, limitations. Um, so that, that's one, uh, that's falling under the religious um, aspect. Um, and then the medical, it's probably a very small group of people who are unable to get the vaccination due to a medical condition. And those people are protected under ADA, you know, no matter what. And for the most part, I think if, if you have somebody like that on your staff, it's probably an office worker because those people that are that ill typically would not be working in, um, you know, PMP. Around chemicals. Yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> generally what we think. There may, there may be exceptions to that, but. Yeah. yeah well, before not. we move on from job or jab, though, are you aware of any employers that have made this requirement? And if so, how did it go down? Like, I, by the way, I, I will say this now for, for both businesses, we don't ask. I mean, for us, it's a black box. I don't ask. I've not asked. I have no plans to. I do like the idea of they're like, hey, if, if someone is vaccinated, great. You know, that means I can, I, they don't have to take downtime if they do get exposed. And if I don't know that, well, then that means I've got to kind of go the old protocol. But do you know of employers that have said, this is, this is the, you, you get, you're getting vaccinated or you don't have a job? And if so, then how did that go? I don't have any clients who are mandating it. And I don't know of many small business employers in general. There are, there's information out there and, and constant surveys. We're not seeing that yet. We're seeing very large companies uh, require or mandate the vaccination. So Tyson Foods, for example. Um, but, you know, it depends on the employer because Disney World here in Orlando, where I am, they have a requirement for the vaccination for office people, but they have unions for their hourly workers. So for them to implement a vaccine mandate, they need to bargain with the union first because it's a term or condition of employment. So they're not able to just go in and mandate that without going through that process. So uh, larger companies that have unions are faced with that. Um, but we, so we're not seeing many people go with the outright job or jab option. It's the other option that employers are more you know, considering. Um, I'm glad you said that. And I know we're going to go to jab or swab, but um, my, I guess for our listeners, and, and I know I'm not unique in this, and we're not talking about this right now, and it's not the topic of this. I don't want to get sidetracked, but it is so difficult to find people. The last thing I'm wanting to do is create another opportunity. Oh, screw you. And I'm out. Cause I mean, we're already like trying our best to keep, you know, and to get new folks. And it's just it, you know, the labor market, at least in the areas that we're at is so competitive trying to get, you know, folks in. It's the last, I don't want to do that. So, all right. So that's option one job or jab. Let's talk about option two. And let me just add something to that, Donnie. Uh, that's a very valid point, and that is what is holding back some employers. Another thing that's holding them back on that mandate option is the fact that they're dictating health care for their employees. They're basically saying, you are going to get this vaccine if you want to keep working here. And employers have never been in the business of telling people what kind of medical care to get. They're not doctors. 
And a lot of employers have concerns about the long-term effects of this vaccination. And it's not politically proper to talk about that. I understand that, but it is a reality that we don't have a lot of history with it. Uh, I have a chemistry degree and my background is science. So just, it's, it's, you know, you only have so much information that you can gather in a short right. period of time on these things. And so the fact is we don't have that. And so employers are concerned that if they mandate it and somewhere down the road, someone has a long-term effect, um, how, how does that impact them? Is it a worker's comp? Um, you know, uh, is there is there negligence there? Um, you know, what would happen? So those are very valid concerns that employers have today about the mandate. Is there any parallels between schools? So if you have a little a young child and you want to send them to school, they got to get measles, mumps, rubella, all that stuff. And I would assume that the teachers also have to have that if they're going to mandate that the kids have that. Does that have any precedent here or it doesn't matter? In private business, no, not really. It's it, you would think that we'd maybe be more accustomed to it because of that. We're, we all went through school. We remember having to get, you know, the MMR, and nobody thought twice about it. At least my, you know, people I knew. I know there were parents who did push back, but you know, all my friends, family, everybody just went and got their vaccinations and didn't think about it. Right. Uh, but it doesn't really affect the workplace, and it hasn't been that way unless you're in healthcare. If you're in healthcare, then yes, you're going to get a hepatitis vaccination and. Um, those things again were commonplace. It's it's the fact that this is so new and there's no history. That's what I think is bothering a lot of people. So, well, what about uh, quarantines, paid emergency sick leave? Um, it's a confusing topic. What do employers need to remember? You know what? Before I touch on that, Dan, could I mention the other option? Yes, yes. the jabber's job. I'm, I'm out of order again. I. Uh, I yeah, that's okay. He's still um, reeling from that partner comment. Keep going. It's uh, <laughs> having a rough day. We usually record in the morning. This is the afternoon. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, so the other option that some people are calling a mandate, it really isn't a mandate uh, per se. It's the jab or swab option. And that is where you would say to an employee, you either have to get the COVID-19 vaccination or you're going to be subject to regular testing and um, whatever other protocols we have for people who are not fully vaccinated, such as wearing masks and social distancing. So that option is more palatable for employers. And that is actually the option that, um, or the, the, the protocol that uh, President Biden announced on July 29th for federal government employees and on-site contractors, that is workers, vendors who are on-site and government agencies. We anticipate that uh, the Biden administration will adopt that same um, protocol for government contractors nationwide. So if there are PMPs out there uh, that, have, uh, that have government contracts that could be coming your way, where you can, you would have to say to your employees, you either have to get vaccinated or be subject to regular testing. And if an employer is going to uh, adopt that practice, then the regular testing should be no uh, more than once a week. You shouldn't wait a couple weeks to do that because the virus we know uh, can spread within if three to five days. So you would wanna get the testing done weekly uh, or twice weekly, which I don't think many people will do. And you also should not permit employees to test themselves at home. 
using a home kit. Why? Because they're not date stamped, number one. And number two, you have no idea that it's their test result. And so and who bears the cost of all of this testing? And there's the there's a million dollar question, literally. Um, <laughs> so says the accountant. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, perfect. Well, you. If you're doing it every week and you've got a, a fairly yeah, um, that's a great question because the rules right now for insurers are that they have to fully cover the cost of coronavirus testing when it's ordered by a healthcare provider. But those rules that uh, came into play under the Trump administration, and they actually continued in the same form format under the Biden administration, they exclude routine workplace testing. That is not covered and not paid for. So that means that once the insurers catch on that you're routinely, regularly testing the same person every week, uh, they have the right to deny coverage for that, and that means that the cost of the test is one factor. In addition to that, we know that when we require employees to submit to testing like a drug test, um, we, we pay them for their time when they go to get tested. Um, there are some wage and hour provisions around that. So while the Department of Labor has not come right out and uh, explicitly stated that it's work time to travel to and from, the site where you get the test uh, performed um, and or the, the time it takes to be tested, we believe uh, that more likely than not, it is work time. So now you have that implication on, on top of it. More regulation, more costs. So back to the, the question that I batted out of order, uh, I know which one, the, the uh, um, paid emergency sick leave. Um, what do employers need to remember? What they need to remember is that there still is an option for businesses that have fewer than 500 employees. There is an option to offer paid emergency paid sick leave uh, under similar provisions and conditions as we saw it last year when it was actually required for businesses. Um, under mm -hmm. Under the American Rescue Plan Act um, of 2021, President Biden uh, permitted employers to offer the emergency paid sick leave and emergency paid family leave and receive a tax credit in exchange for qualifying wages that are paid. If an employer adopts those leaves under all of the provisions from last year, plus some new ones that he added, uh, which include qualifying reasons that are different, like getting vaccinated, and as of last week, um, accompanying individuals to get vaccinated or taking care of individuals who have a reaction from the vaccination. And the term individuals, pretty much family members, but more broadly defined than that. Um, so many employers who are thinking, well, I, I have a pretty, you know, I have an unvaccinated population. Half my people are young. They just don't want to get it. They haven't gotten it for whatever reason. I could have a lot of people out sick. I want to be able to make sure they're paid. Um, and I, and I don't want to have to pay for it. I want the tax credit for it. Um, when they look at that and they understand that it means they have to reissue 80 hours of paid sick leave right now. And it can be used for all these reasons that employees don't have to prove necessarily. They only have to attest to it by signing a form. Um, and, and it's only good through September 30th. They're sitting back and saying, mm, maybe this isn't such a good idea. 
Mm-hmm. Everybody's getting 80 hours and you can't discriminate. You got to give it to everybody, full-time, part-time, everybody. So everybody gets 80 hours on the books, paid sick leave, and you can take it for a lot of reasons. They're not up yeah. for losing people to that degree without a lot of control over it. Is there a certain size company or are there any exemptions for personal? Bigger than 500 employees. Now, uh, even if you have uh, fewer than 500 employees, again, this is optional, but uh, there may be a special state or a city or county paid sick leave law that you're subject to. For example, in New York, um, there is paid quarantine leave and paid leave for vaccinations for employers. And so forget the federal law, they don't even need that. They have it already, you know, they're already obligated under the state law to offer those leaves. So it's so very location specific. So let's summarize this. So you've got you've got three options. Okay, someone is exposed to COVID. And we've got vaccinated, unvaccinated. And under those two, there's actually three options. So we just briefly just walk through. Okay, option one. You're not vaccinated. You've been exposed to COVID. You have to quarantine. Am I on the hook as an employer to pay emergency sick leave while they're on quarantine? Not unless you have adopted the federal emergency paid sick leave or you are subject to a state, county, or city paid sick leave law that requires that. And if, and, and if, in order for me to do that, like I get reimbursed for that, but I have to apply for it. So if I do, I get reimbursed for it or not? If you do I, get reimbursed, um, and I know Dan is much more an expert on this than I am, but you can get reimbursed through your quarterly tax uh, return that you submit your 941. Yeah, yeah, they actually, and, I'm, they, and I agree with you. I don't know that I would want to apply for it because if I apply for it, holy crap, right? That, yeah. That's the problem. They yeah. they've reworked yeah. the forms, the, the 941s, so they include all that. What's, what'll be interesting is how do they audit that? You know, because audits usually come down a year or two later. How, how do you, you know? Yeah, employers so are required to keep their documentation on it for four years. And we've created a form for our clients that uh, has the maximum amount of information you can request from an employee. Um, and you can't request anything else. So if somebody gets vaccinated and they claim that they're having a reaction from the vaccination and they can't work for 80 hours and they want their paid sick leave because you offer, you voluntarily decided to offer that in exchange for a tax credit, all you can get them to do is fill up a form saying that and sign their name. No proof, no evidence, can't require a doctor's note, not allowed. Wow. That's why employers wow. are holding back. So that's option one. Option two is what? Like, and I'm assuming this falls under an unvaccinated as far as like quarantine options. Oh, so option are, one is, oh, a, yeah. yeah, so there are three, right? Yeah, three quarantine options for unvaccinated people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of them is the one everybody knows, which is 14 days. And yeah. if you require someone to quarantine for 14 days, they're not required to get a test. And getting a test any sooner doesn't uh, matter if you go with the 14-day quarantine option. A lot of employers aren't doing that anymore. They're using one of the other two options because they can't afford to have people gone for so long. And the second option is a 10-day quarantine without a test at the end. So somebody can just stay out for 10 days instead of 14. With each of these options, when you lower the number of days for the quarantine, you increase the potential risk of transmission from that person 
when they come back to work. The lowest gotcha. risk is the 14-day quarantine. 10 days next, that's 1% to 10% risk when they come back. And the third option is a seven-day um, seven quarantine with a negative test that cannot be administered until at least day five. So on day Excellent. five or greater, they get tested. They still have to stay out seven days, even if they get a negative test result that very day. So it's a seven-day quarantine with a negative test day five or later. And that risk is about 5 to 12% transmission when they come back to the workplace. So there you have it, Vegas style. Um, you know, <laughs> choose what you want. <laughs> well, that's, uh, and again, I, and just to reiterate what you said, if you're going to apply for the tax credit, it just, I would really, really consider that. I, I certainly don't want to have anything to do with that because the idea that, hey, someone comes into the office and now I've got five people that has to quarantine for 14 days. I'm out of business for two weeks, right? I mean, it's just, it's not going to happen. So, um, well, Gene, this has been outstanding. I have learned a lot um, just by listening to you. Dan, any parting questions, comments before we wrap this up? I want to give folks uh, some, Gene, some of Gene's information and also talk about the show notes. But before that, we do that, any parting thoughts or questions? Yeah, I was going to talk about the show notes. A lot of what we discussed was confusing and pretty intricate. And uh, we'll put the show notes up on the website and uh, obviously we'll have Gene review them to make sure they're correct before we post them, but um, they'll, they'll be up there, so. And would Great. you like to share the employee COVID chart uh, with listeners? We would uh, love to share that, yeah. Okay, so yeah. that is uh, version nine of that chart that lays out all the procedures for addressing employees who are exposed to COVID, whether they're fully vaccinated or unvaccinated, and the rules for returning them to work after they've been in isolation and they've had COVID. So Gene didn't ask me to do this, but I'm, I'm going to do it anyway. If you've not done this, you need to do this now. Go to cright.com. That's S-E-A-W-R-I-G-H-T, cright.com, and join her mailing list. I do not get a ton of emails from Gene, but when I get them, they are very detailed. They're very thought-provoking, and they're very well done. Um, Probably even better, I'd say, than maybe Colmarch emails. But anyway, so yeah, I <laughs> the, the, the emails that I get are, you know, uh, very well placed, not like the PCO bookkeeper or Colmarch <laughs> propaganda that comes out. Every yeah. But, uh, no, but, but yeah. very well thought out. So. Yeah, very well thought out. And so, Gene, if it's okay, I would love to take this email that you have and put it in some sort of document format, put it up on the show notes, just for everyone who's listening and, and for you as well, Gene. If you go to pmpindustryinsider.com, we have a link there called show notes. And for each show, it, resources that we talk about, we go ahead and link it. And we also put kind of a summary of the conversation. And so um, if you're listening now, um, much like what, uh, what Gene said, you know, we will go ahead and, and we will put those resources out there for you. So great. Any parting thoughts, Gene, before we close out? Uh, hang in there. Everybody hang in there. We've got a few more weeks of this Delta variant before it, it, it peaks and um, it will pass. So uh, hang on. Well, thank you very much. And uh, I will say this, uh, as always, we are we are glad that you joined us here with the PMP Industry Insider podcast. If you enjoyed this show, please take a moment and rate and review us uh, on Apple or Spotify, however you listen to our podcast. And with that, we're going to close this one out. It's been a great one. Gene, thank you very much. And we'll see you Thanks all next so time. Take care now. Bye-bye.